Coming up right now, the newest episode from Carr, Gwyn, and Ode on Three Pagans and a Cat. Hey folks, CJ Grimm here from Poking Dead Things. It's a hard job doing what we do, and it can get kind of gross. We know that you work hard too, so I'm here to tell you that at the end of a hard day, nothing beats a hot bath and a cold beer. So treat yourself right, head to Twisted Willow Soap Company, and indulge in a bath bomb with your favorite six-pack. Remember, the only girly thing about a bath bomb are the sounds you're going to make in excitement. Twisted Willow Soap Company. Body. Mind. Soul. Let your rapidity be that of the wind, your compactness that of the forest. In raiding and plundering be like fire, in immovability like a mountain. Welcome to Elements and Elementals, the 90th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of 5th century BCE general and philosopher Sun Tzu, as translated by Lionel Giles. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father. Mary Meat. My name is Gwyn, Ode's mother. And honestly, I figured you'd use Paracelsus, but I like that quote. I chose Sun Tzu for a reason, although we will be talking about Paracelsus. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> we are talking elements. Yes. But before we get into all that, we have our housekeeping. So, right. Carr, do we have any new patrons? Uh, we don't. Okay. And next week, I get to read everybody anyway. That's yep. right. Yep. So. And, that, and then we'll settle in for ten minutes. And... Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the monthly. Patron mm-hmm, read. Mm-hmm. And I promise to screw up everybody's name this time instead of just a couple of people. I'm going to read them all incorrectly. <laughs> that would be kind of hilarious. Yes, intentionally read, read them all wrong. poorly. <laughs> all right, I'm throwing that out there to the Discord. You can choose whether you want that to happen next week. <laughs> Everyone's saying yes. So yeah. 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 See what he comes up with. All right, uh, so that's, that's what we'll be doing next week. <laughs> look forward to a fun new way to read I, all the patron names. I, I, I I think that um, not just Car, but all of us are getting a little punchy with these extended stay-at-home orders. At least I Which am. Which ours has been extended yes. again and for another two weeks. Michigan stay-at-home order was extended until May fifteenth. May fifteenth, yep. yep. yes. But the governor There's has be relaxed a slow some of the rules, loosening of restrictions. Yep. Although yes. we do have to, anytime you're out in public, yep. now you're Maintain supposed to social wear distancing and wear a mask. mask. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. We're house kept. We've gone off on our bunny trail. We are n- we are now prepared to talk about. We're housekept. Or housekept. We're housekept. I'm gonna stick to housekept. You can't change me. <laughs> but yeah, so we're gonna be talking about the elements and elementals. Today. That's right. That's right. And it's it's an interesting topic. It's a very interesting topic, mm-hmm. and I think it gets sort of glossed over a lot. It does. It does. One of the things, I honestly don't work with a lot of elementals in the way that people think of them. Mm-hmm. I work with the energy of the elements. Yeah, that's another thing we're going to talk that's about. But before we get into that, thing. give a definition. <laughs> well, the thing is with the elements, you can't really give a definition because there that's are multiple true. systems. That's right. There, are, And that's, I think, the first thing that needs to be addressed is that there's not just like one system of elements. There are multiple systems of elements. Isn't there I, just a table of them? Well, there's the periodic table of elements. Yes, yeah. right. Those are chemical elements, but which the, I do have some information on. But the elements that we know of, air, earth, fire, water, and potentially ether or, or spirit. Or spirit or void. Depending or void, on which or system. Void. And they those really, are only, and those are only the classical elements. That's what I was going to say. Those are the classical elements that began with the Greeks. No. They didn't? They did not. I thought they did. No. So there were multiple systems that sort of independently came up with that sort of four to five element system. Right. The earliest one I could find was a reference in in a Babylonian cosmogony. Right. I forgot. I even have a note. Yeah. It was written somewhere between the 18th and the 16th centuries BCE. That cosmogony included, and a cosmogony is a description of the beginning of the universe, basically. Thank you. That cosmogony uh, included a personified sea, earth, sky, and wind. Yes. Which those personifications sort of became more systemized as elemental structures. Yeah. So that's the earliest one I could find. But even before it was, and contemporary to the classical elements in Greece, Mm -hmm. which originally started with just four, and it wasn't until Aristotle that they started adding aether. That the aether came later. But in the 7th century BCE in Persia, Zara Zarathustra of Thus Spake Zarathustra mm-hmm. put together uh, an, a system of elements of air, water, fire, earth, and void. I think we should also say that was he's also known as Zoroaster. Zoroaster, yes. Yeah. Zoroaster or Zarathustra, uh, right. that's the same person. 
And by the way, Finn said he didn't sign up for big words. I can't help you with that, Finn. You came to this podcast to sign up for big words. You knew. You knew, man. (laughs) So there are also independently developed elemental systems in Hinduism. That's a five-element system, which is also an air, water, fire, earth, and void. And in Buddhism, there's a four-element system, which is air, water, fire, and earth. The Greek philosophy was originally just air, water, fire, and earth. Mm -hmm. Aristotle added aether, which is supposed to be an unachievable element essentially. The thing with the classical elements is that they're supposed to be the building blocks of existence. Exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. The idea is everything that we can perceive is made up of different constituent components of these these fundamental elements. Mm -hmm. The Chinese elements are different. Yes, they are. Not even just in what they are, but in how they are. So the Chinese elemental system is actually called Wujing, and that doesn't translate very well. It's sometimes translated as five elements, but could be translated as elements. It could be translated as phases or agents or processes. Mm -hmm. It's not a very translatable term, and it doesn't refer to component elements of, of like building blocks of matter, it refers to processes or transitions. Right. So there are five elements in the Chinese system and those are wood, trees, right. fire, earth, metal, sometimes specifically gold, and water. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole like interconnected system of how those elements interact with each other. Which are, and it is still a system that is used today. Mm-hmm. In, uh, in traditional Chinese medicine, yep. yes. Mm-hmm. The Wuxing refers to and is referenced by all kinds of components of Chinese culture. It's, mm-hmm. it's in traditional Chinese medicine. Right. It's in Chinese philosophy. Yep. It describes seasons. Mm-hmm. But we also can't forget Hinduism's Ayurveda, which right. has their own five element comprise, which comprises the, the universe and the body. And they have also, that is part of their uh, medical system as well. Yes. But the difference between the the Ayurvedic elements and the Wuxing elements mm-hmm. is that the Ayurvedic elements are still referring to the classical ones, right? Well, they're mm-hmm. they're still closer related to the classical ones, right. but more specifically, they're also referring to physical material. Mm-hmm. The Chinese elements, although they have the names of physical materials, are not actually referring to physical materials. Right. That's the I think the big difference between them, and that's the thing that's like not very well understood. I think mm-hmm. about the Chinese element system. I'm <laughs> sure some people are like, what? What does this have to do with elementals as they are well, understood today in, in paganism? paganism. This, it, is this, the, is the, this is the fundamentals, right? This is the right? fundamentals like, of where elements came into play in the Greek world, in the various ancients. Right. I, personally, I think it's like impossible to talk about what an elemental is without, without knowing what elements you're talking about. Exactly. And the fact that it had a huge impact on multiple cultures for thousands of years still is in play, as we were saying, through Ayurvedic medicine, through, mm-hmm. you know, traditional Chinese medicine, and through the understanding of earth, air, fire, water, and spirit, and that kind of thing. So, or in yeah. my case, just land, sea, and sky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we have to know what the, where this came from. And I really find it interesting that all these different cultures... They all had a system sort of based independently. Independently had a system based. They might have had slightly different words. Mm-hmm. You know, for some, uh, it was wind instead of air. Right. Yeah, void instead of spirit. That kind of thing. But well, or spirit's aether. very new, and that's new. It so was aether. originally aether. Yeah. But my my point is, I feel like. The fact that so many of these cultures had this similar idea that kind of developed independently of each other, mm-hmm. I feel like that means there's some sort of correlation both in energy and in just spiritual understanding or awareness. That's my belief. I think it's very interesting. So, I mean, all of these systems were essentially developed by philosophers because right. this is pre-science. Right. Um, and the earliest scientists before alchemy were philosophers. Mm-hmm. So these systems were developed out of philosophers sort of looking at the world and trying to, to find... A way to describe it? Well, not a, not even to describe it, but they were trying to find, like, what are the irreducible elements? What's the smallest we can get? And this mm-hmm. was before we knew about, like, atoms. So, like, they couldn't get into chemical elements and atomic structures. It's interesting to me that everyone sort of concluded that there were the same irreducible elements. Mm-hmm. So a question. So what are the four, like, kind of mean? The air, water, fire, and earth. Land, sea, and sky for me would be air, water, water and, earth. and earth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So fire doesn't make sense to me in that because it takes both air and earth 
in order to make fire work. So I don't understand how it fits in as kind of a... As an irreducible element. As an irreducible element. Interestingly, Aristotle had an example that was shared by, I don't know if I can say his name. It's Empedocles. Yes, thank you. Empedocles. He used the burning log as a way to just basically describe how the elements work together and where they come from. So Right, they're all supposed to be interconnected. They're all interconnected. So like he would say, here is a burning log. As the smoke rises you see air at work. As the flame rises, the flame comes as part of the air. It is fed by the air. The ash that is created is earth. And then the water that bubbles from the log is water. Is water. And they all work together to comprise. Spookwolf makes an interesting point that oxidizers can be liquids and can burn without air. That's true. Right. Um, and I think some of it also is that these early philosophers were still learning about how things worked. Mm-hmm. Like they were still learning about how the natural world worked. So sometimes Mm -hmm. things would catch on fire and they did not know why. Right. Or like lightning to them was just fire in the fucking sky. Mm -hmm. Okay. To a certain extent, it was like they didn't know necessarily that fire was, needed something else to yeah, they, right. yeah, they didn't know that you had to have the, the earth element and the, the air element working together to right. feed the fire element. They would right. sort of put together... And the water element could put out the fire element, depending on the kind of fire. Depending exactly. on the fire. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> but ultimately, they do all work together, so you can kind of see where they got the idea or the understanding that these four elements were the building blocks of life. Of life. And the interesting thing is that Paracelsus, and we had talked about him, he yeah. is the one who really came up with the concept of elements as beings. And now elementals. Elementals as beings. And for him, they were not spirits, according to what I was reading. Sort of. So they, they were, were somewhere in between a in between a spirit and a they were they were in they were invisible beings. Yeah. That lived on a different plane of existence within the element that they represented. Not so much on a different plane of existence. So Paracelsus was was a 16th century (laughs) alchemist. He essentially invented our current understanding of elementals. Gnomes were supposed to be the elementals of earth. Undines were supposed to be the elementals of water. Silphs Silphs were the elementals of air. And salamanders were the elementals of fire. Most of those he actually like invented whole cloth. Mm -hmm. There were correlations to existing folklore, but those things didn't exist before Paracelsus wrote about them Mm -hmm. like this. Except salamanders, which did have a more extant association with the being that was associated with fire. I think the earliest we could go back to would be those Babylonians who had kind of like deities associated with the, with, with the elements. They had personified yeah, elements. Yeah, personified sure. elements. So that would, but otherwise Paracelsus really created the elementals. Yeah. As we know them. Like I said, there were, like, there were still, there were naiads and, yeah. and mermaids yeah. and things like through, that. Through the Greeks and, and the and, Romans. And, and water spirits through, before there were undines. Right. But, associating water elementals as undines was a thing Paracelsus came up with. He okay, invented yep. these terms. Uh, so yep. what the hell is an undine? An undine is a water element. Like, like a mermaid. Okay, so, it's just or... a... so here's how Paracelsus <laughs> described the element. He believed they all looked like essentially humans, mm-hmm. but humans like off somehow. Okay. He believed that they like did human things. They wore clothes. They, they did food. work. They ate food. They had families, et cetera, et cetera. They had, like, human societies. But they had okay. no spirit or soul. They had no soul. They had no soul. So the the body in Paracelsus's alchemical construction was that there was a, a material body, there was a spirit that animated the body, and there was an immortal soul. Right. The only thing that elementals were supposed to not have, according to Paracelsus, was an immortal soul. They did have a physical body, and they did have an animating spirit. But they were sort of in between being material creatures and ethereal spirits. They could only exist inside of their associated elements. So water, fire, So they earth. could move through their associated element and live like normal lives in that, but they couldn't exist outside of their element. And they were generally invisible to human beings. Because they were in the element. Because they were in the element. So it wasn't like they lived on a parallel dimension. It was That's just that they were point. embedded in the elements that exist on this That's a good point. So they weren't perceivable by humans because they couldn't. So then, how did he know they looked human? I don't know. Well, okay. Well, I mean, I'm just checking. 
like, I, I don't know, could kind he of see like, into those? Was that his conjecture? So, the Rosicrucians that I was just going to, I was going to bring up the Rosicrucians. I was going to say, I don't know which came first, the Rosicrucians or the, or Paracelsus, but. I believe Paracelsus precedes the Rosicrucians, yes. but the Rosicrucians did believe that you could learn, learn to, to see, see the elementals. They had a whole process. They yep. had uh, some kind of a, an elixir, a medicine that you could take, and then they had this ritual. There was a ritual. There was yeah. a ritual involved, and supposedly you, and that was the only way you could become a Rosicrucian, was to go through this ritual. So that you could see the elementals. So that you could see the elementals. And then you had to, in order to remain a Rosicrucian, mm-hmm. you had to remain chaste and could not have sex until, unless, unless until you were married by an you elemental. Could marry an elemental. Which is because, this is something else yep. Paracelsus came up with, Paracelsus says that because elementals don't have immortal souls, when they die, that's the end of them. Whereas when humans die, their immortal soul persists, right? Yep. Okay. So Paracelsus says that if an elemental marries a human being, mm-hmm. that human being confers an immortal soul on the elemental and upon all of their children, which allows the elemental and the descendants of the elemental to continue persisting after death in the same way that humans do. Rabbit is saying, that reminds me of the Little Mermaid. In the original tale, mermaids couldn't go to heaven because they didn't have souls. And then someone else commented, Talia commented, yeah, and she became human so she could gain a soul and go to heaven when she died. Yes. Jack said, then she turned to sea foam because she gave up her, her life for right. the for so the, the the Paracelsus I think it's, method, he was German right. the yeah. reason in the Little Mermaid that so she wouldn't gain an immortal soul by becoming human mm-hmm. she would gain an immortal soul by marrying a human right. by marrying a human that's and that would be what would allow her to persist after death and because she does not she she chooses not to marry the prince that's why when she dies she turns to sea foam mm-hmm. because she has no immortal soul and then those uh, the gods take or God I guess because he was super Christian, took pity on her and she became a sylph. She went from being seafoam to becoming a sylph. So she sort of transitioned to a different element. Somehow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she she became one of the air elementals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Little Mermaid would essentially have been an undine. She would yes. have been an elemental water, uh, spirit. water spirit or water being yep. is, as far as Paracelsus was concerned. Okay, so I have one other question okay. before you all move on to more esoteric things. <laughs> How does a salamander end up fire? It runs on the earth and well, water. Well, <laughs> sort of. Sort so, of. So there are, there's, salamanders have been an object of obsession for the ancients for a long time. Finn agrees with me, by the way. Dragons! (laughs) Right. There were philosophers who were like, observe the humble salamander. (laughs) His skin is so frigid that if you put him in a fire, he will put it out. And, and can't be burned. There's all kinds of mythology about salamanders living in fireplaces. And sometimes they think that's because, um, like, after a, a hearth was doused, they'd find salamanders living there later mm-hmm. because they would move into the ash. ash right. And people would be like, there was this, there was a, a creature lizard in here the whole time. Salamanders aren't actually lizards. They're no. amphibians. But they were thought to be lizards at the time. So people would be like, there's a fucking... Fireproof lizard in my grate. <laughs> That's where that kind of stuff yeah, comes from. Yeah, probably. which you kind of get it. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, yeah, a lot of philosophers, natural philosophers, in the early days were like, "This thing can't be caught on fire." I'm pretty sure they wouldn't usually test it by like throwing by it, throwing yeah, it yeah. in a fire but and watching it burn. Right, yeah. but they'd be like, "I'm this thing is so cold. There's no way." And I think it's important to note that while terms like undying sylph, salamander, and gnome are the general terms for those categories of elemental, mm-hmm. there are different elemental beings within those categories. Sort of. Paracelsus didn't. No, but that's become a modern. Yeah, thing. that's a so modern thing. G- give me the four that Paracelsus had again. Gnomes. Yeah. Undines. Uh-huh. Sylphs. Uh-huh. Salamanders. So the only one that's like an actual thing would be the salamander. Yes. Okay. And it's just is weird. Like, why not just make up some other shit for the for the fire the one? Salamanders rather? existed, and were they, already associated. They with were fire. already okay. associated with fire, so it made sense. At least Paracelsus and those who worked with him, yep. <laughs> like okay. the Rosicrucians. It doesn't have to make logical sense nope. all the time. Nope. <laughs> 
Okay. I would prefer if it did. Just a little bit. Well, it's it's not gonna. So, this is alchemy from this the 16th alchemy. century. And that's right. what it comes down to is medieval alchemy actually expanded the elements at various times in various systems. There were multiple elemental systems being used by alchemists, but some of them expanded elemental systems to include air, water, fire, earth, and also sulfur, mercury, and right. salt. Because those were critical components of the work of alchemy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the idea was that, like, mercury was a liquid but a metal. Right. Right? Sulfur yeah. was fire and earth together. Before you all get deep. <laughs> Join our Tiger Kelly on a visit to Tree Wizard Creations, where you can find custom engraved creations for all paths. They offer unique gifts and tools for altar, home, practice, and family. In addition to their standard product range, they offer custom commissions. If you can dream it, the wizard will create it. Contact them at treewizardcreations at gmail.com. Follow them on Facebook at Tree Wizard Creations, or you can go to their website at www.treewizard, that's W-Y-Z-A-R-D, creations.com. I love Tree Wizard Creations. They make some beautiful things, including my folding table that has a pendulum board on it. Yes, yep, it's very exactly. Neat. So something else I think is interesting and that I want to talk about a little bit, maybe, before we get into more about elementals specifically. Mm-hmm. So science now understands that air, water, fire, and earth are not irreducible components, right? right? right. Mm-hmm. We now know that not everything is made up of some combination of those things. Right. What we know now is that everything is made up of atoms, mm-hmm. which can be reduced a little further than that even, into, you know, protons and neutrons and electrons and all that science quarks, stuff. if you want to get really deep down. Down. But we do have the periodic table of elements. So we have the 118 chemical elements, some of which can only be produced under laboratory settings, but about nine, I think 94 uh, elements are naturally occurring. We don't really see people talking about the elemental of oxygen, right? Right? Or hydrogen or any of the other periodic elements, but I think that's something interesting to consider maybe mm-hmm. in more abstract ways. Just I just think the, the classical elements are interesting. But I think limiting yourself to that as your as your understanding of the world mm. is maybe shallow. Or I think it's I think the way we often talk about it is shallow, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's interesting to at least explore these other possibilities. Like the most irreducible, as far as I know, uh constituent component of matter mm-hmm. is a quark. Mm-hmm. Which is unspeakably small. And only... also a great character on DS9. Right. That's true. And so it's estimated only 15% of the universe is actually matter. Right. And the other 85% of it is dark matter that we don't know anything about. Right. I know. Well, I, I mean, I look at the elementals, the elemental spirits, such as, you know, we've been talking about. It's more of a spiritual thing than a physical thing. That they used to think of it as a physical matter, uh, elements of how each of us are created mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. I think today... Each because, of us and everything. <laughs> you know, each of us and everything. But I think because we do have this understanding of quarks <laughs> and and all, you know, of matter and things like that. I think the understanding has gone into more of a spiritual realm. Like, for instance, what I was reading is that all of these different elementals are basically in charge of their element, according to what some people believe. The the sylphs are in charge of the courses of how the of how the air flows and and things like that in the in the sky, or or the, how the water flows in a river and things like that. And that, but, but that are, comes from a spiritual st- thing. But those are still natural things. True. And I, I think I think the question comes down to: Do you believe that the elementals are nature spirits? That's my question. I think. Could we just worship the six different or worship worship whatever, whatever it is? <laughs> uh, the six different flavors of quarks. That's what I'm saying. Like what I'm saying is. You mean, do you mean uh, acknowledge? Well, there's six, there's six different with. flavors be, of quarks. Be... There's up, down, strange, charm, bottom, and top. Yeah. And the quark qualities. Each of those flavors of quarks has an anti-quark mm-hmm. version of it. Mm-hmm. So really, there's 12. Mm-hmm. And, and like Finn says, if you want to worship those, you go right ahead, Car. Well, Thanks. And you don't even have to go that deep down, right? Like there are other systems, like we could use the states of matter, solid, liquid, gas, and plasma. Right. Right? Like those are definite, identifiable, different states of matter. Why are we focusing on the air, earth, fire, water elements and not the states? Right. You know, like what, 
Is it about elements, the classical elements, that makes、mm-hmm. them more special or more important than any other spirit associated with a concept like that? Like, what makes those specific, if you want to call them nature spirits,、mm-hmm. elementals,、mm-hmm. which ha- implies like more power and authority、mm-hmm. than because Paracelsus? Because Paracelsus? Yeah, but Paracelsus was a 16th century alchemist.、Okay. I don't know. If, like, I don't respect Paracelsus. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna rein you in because we do have a couple of questions here. First of all, Talia asks if crystals and other stones are made up of elements from the periodic table.、Mm-hmm. Are they also elemental spirits? Everything's made up of elements from the periodic table, including you and me and the mic and the table and the thing I'm drinking. Literally, everything is made up of chemical elements. So does that make us all elemental spirits? That's that's my question. That's the question. <laughs> well, that's a philosophical question、uh-huh. that you know I don't think there's an answer to that is a definitive. No, there's、answer. not. But I'm what I want. What I want people to do is like think, think more, like、mm-hmm. consider more, like don't just accept that the four elements exist and are important. Like assess why they're important、mm-hmm. to you and to reality. Well, I mean, if you break down water, it's what H two O. Are you saying like break it down to what? What I'm saying is yeah. Like, Elements are like, within water.、Uh, is if there's an elemental of water,、mm-hmm. is there a deeper? Are there deeper elementals of hydrogen and oxygen? That would make sense to me.、Mm-hmm. And are those elementals bigger or smaller than water,、mm-hmm. or do they come together? Are to- they the grandparents of water? Like what? What are we? Like what's the situation? Or are they two? Or is it coming together that creates this more powerful el-、uh, elemental? But、being? would it be more powerful? That's my question. Well, and that leads to Gemma's question, <laughs> which is: Do they rule the elements that they are, or do they merely live in? So、them? according to Paracelsus, they just lived in them. Right. They were just like normal. I think it's people、modern. having normal lives. <laughs> Right, I think it's more modern interpretations. People do tend to associate the classical elements with the cardinal directions. Right, and and they, I have it written down right here. And colors, they've assigned they assigned colors to air and the cardinal direction for air. Well, most of that、east. was arbitrary. It was, it was, and it was. Talia says, I was more thinking that since crystals and stones have spirits, does that mean that their spirits are elemental, not just that they're made up of periodic elements? That's that's a good question, and that's like I, I think most people would. Not consider the spirits of stones to be elementals,、mm-hmm. right? People think of elementals as being like bigger things,、mm-hmm. like encompassing concepts rather than individual substances, I guess. And the thing is that, like, when I have a stone, I'm communing with the spirit of that specific specimen,、mm-hmm. but I'm also communing with the spirit of that like type of stone,、mm-hmm. sort of beneath. That right, they like layer up, and so like maybe deeper down than that, there's like I'm also communing with the elemental of stones generally. Well, I guess that means it's time for <laughs> old stone corner. Yeah, I guess that was a good yeah. That was like I mean I'm, you're not gonna find a better transition. <laughs> <laughs> Today I'm gonna be talking about igurine. Igurine is a monoclinic. Prismatic crystal. Monoclinic means that it grows in sort of straight rectangular prisms around parallelograms. That makes sense. Say that three times fast. <laughs> um, I mean, it makes sense. I'm not sure I understood it though. All right, those words all made sense. It has a Mohs level of five or six, usually closer to six, but it's brittle, so you don't want to drop it because、gotcha. it will、right. break. Usually a greenish black color, although sometimes you'll find it in a very, very dark green. It's opaque, but if you slice it very, very thin. You can see sort of the green through. You hold it up to the light. That's not going to be thin enough for you to see through, probably. Is that one you got Actually, from Gold of Bronze? Actually, I can see just、yeah. see. Yeah. Yeah, you can kind of see the sheen of the green yeah, in yep. the black. Yeah. Yeah. Especially on the edges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At a casual glance, it looks black, but it really isn't. It's a very, very exceedingly deep green, and only in the lighter specimens really does it become obvious that it's that it's green. And in lighter specimens, I mean like a deep emerald green. Right. <laughs> So there's a very very high concentration of、uh, of that dark green color. So it was first discovered in Norway. It actually was discovered twice and mistaken for two different interesting minerals. Yeah. So it, it igorine also comes in like a deep reddish brown black. That is usually called something else, not igorine that I can't remember. Also starts with an A. It was originally thought to be a different mineral. So they were discovered about 30 years apart. And it wasn't until like a couple of decades after that that people figured out they were the same mineral and they were all grouped under igorine. 
Okay. But sometimes you'll still see the reddish-brown agarine referred to by that other name. It usually makes very long crystals, and it's usually, it ends in sort of a pyramid, like a rough pyramid shape. Gotcha. Um, My specific, Yeah, my specific specimen does. It's a little, like, messy. It actually is two pyramids. Yeah, so this is actually, I actually have a twin specimen where the two crystals have grown together. Gotcha. And that's actually a very common feature of agarine. It often grows uh, in twins. So it was discovered in Norway... The name Igerine actually refers to Igir, who is the god of the sea in Norse mythology. Okay, and is that because you find it near the sea? Sort of all of Norway is near the sea. Um, <laughs> well, but, yeah. but, but some places are closer right, to yeah. it than others. No, it was actually named for the color. Igerine is sort of an interesting stone. I wouldn't say it has like a single purpose, but it does several things. Okay. So my first suggestion with Igerine is to like, if you're going to really work with the stone, is to hold it with both hands. Because it's a twin? Well, my specific one I hold like this because it is a twin, but you could also hold the terminal points of it, and I think it would be fine. Describe how you're you're holding it, because so, people can't see you. So I have a, a twin piece of igarine that has two crystals next to each other, and I'm holding each of the crystals. But you could also hold the terminal ends of a single crystal, which are, so those are the two, the top and the, the, top and the bottom mm-hmm. of the crystal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I recommend doing that because it sort of closes a circuit. When you work with Igarine, there's an almost electrical energy about it that can be really disorienting in my experience if you just hold it in one hand. Mm-hmm. I get really disoriented and unbalanced so you with have, have both receiving and, and uh, projecting. projecting. Yeah. I, I, so I, I, I really do think of it like closing a circuit. It's, yep. in, it's in my experience, it's important to work with Igarine holding it in both hands, unless you want that unbalanced, uh, unsettled feeling, I guess. Part of that is because Igarine really sort of gathers energy. Mm-hmm. And if you're not careful, it will gather energy from you. Mm-hmm. I think it could actually be used for soul retrieval in this way. If oh, you, that would be interesting. Yeah, if you were... I haven't used it for this, but I think you probably could use Igarine to assist with soul retrieval if you went into an astral space with Iger and brought Igarine with you. I think it would be really easy for it to sort of draw in ambient energy and ambient spirit. You'd have to pay close attention to make sure you got the pieces you wanted, but I think it could be very useful for that. I have to get myself some Igarine. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting stone. It, it has a tendency to draw things in, into itself, and that's why closing the circuit makes it sort of like a closed loop so that you don't lose energy. So it's like a really good conductor, kind of like copper, but in a different sense. In a different sense, sense. yeah. Right, okay. I don't know how to describe this other than to say it's a deep ingoing stone. So it's got a feeling of being... So some stones, when you pick them up, you can sort of tell that, like, their dimensions are their dimensions. They exist in the space they occupy. Igarine doesn't feel like that. Igarine feels like you're holding, like, a pocket to somewhere else. Ooh, it's a wardrobe. It's a wardrobe, right? Or, like, a black hole. Mm -hmm. Like, Igarine feels like you're holding something bigger than you are. And its specific gravity is, like, a 3 to a 3.6. So it's not, like, its specific gravity isn't super high. It's a little high. Melkor in the Void has a question. Pulling things in like an undertow in water? Yes, it's exactly like that. Very exactly like that. And and I would say that holding it, that sense of it being, like, deeper than it is or, like, having more space that it occupies than it does is, like, um, have you ever seen that video of a guy, like, walking across a puddle and he just goes straight down into it? Yeah. Because, like, it's not a puddle. It's like a trench that right, looks yeah. like a puddle from the top. That's what Igarine feels like. It feels like it's small and it looks like calm and patient on the surface, but if you are not careful, you will dive way deeper than you intended to because it goes way deeper than it seems like it So does. it's bigger on the inside. It's much bigger on the inside, yeah. It has a very sort of noble, reserved quality to it when you interact with it. It's patient. It's not cold in an interpersonal sense, although it does have kind of a cold sensation, a sensation of coldness, mm-hmm. but not like a personality that is cold, if that makes sense. Sure. I can be chilly, but not be chilly. Exactly. Yeah. I find it's often tolerantly amused with me, especially like when I'm trying to... Like explain when I'm, what it is. Exactly. When I'm trying to explain <laughs> the experience of Igarine, it's a lot. It's a very big, very powerful stone, but it's not really a playful stone. You know, like some yeah. of the stones I've talked about 
about have a very like fun, playful. Yeah, energy. this is more reserved. More I, yeah, it's more regal. reserved. Uh, regal is a good word for it. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's specifically a king's stone, but it feels like a king of stones, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. And although it will process negative energy, and although so Igarine, like I said, draws a lot of energy to right. itself, but it doesn't actually hold that energy like obsidian does. Okay, it processes and redistributes it. Okay, that's why you're holding both sides. Exactly. Okay. So you can process negative energy through Igorene and get back, like, new clean energy. Okay. That's so, cool. yeah, it's very, very cool, very, very useful for that. I say it's very useful for that, and I immediately get the vibe of, like, mm. So, so Igorene <laughs> is not a stone that wants to be useful. Mm-hmm. It's a stone that, like, it doesn't mind doing you the occasional favor, but. <laughs> so, uh, Talia asks, is, so it's like a filter. So it sounds more like it's willing to be a filter. Right. Or it can be. It can, it be. can be. It can do that. <laughs> the Igorene goes back in the box. Because it goes back in the box. The Igorene actually has, like, a little box with a little bed of cotton that it stays in. <laughs> and that's partially because it's brittle, and that's partially because it's a lot. <laughs> no, Igorene is probably the most powerful stone I've ever worked with. Like I said, it's got, I, I get like tingly, energetic, like electrical feeling just from handling it. I'm not even holding it and I'm getting. Yeah. It's, it, it's a, I'm it's a very, it's a very it. powerful stone that can, I think, be overpowering if mm-hmm. you're not prepared for it. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's, it's one that you are definitely, you're not going to be able to use it in a, like a function sense. It's when you're going to have to develop a relationship with. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's it for Oats Stone Corner. Now, I, I do want to go back into our discussion, obviously, about mm-hmm. elementals as beings. Because, you know, I talked about the fact that uh, in some of the research that I've done, there are lists of uh-huh. things. Like under, you know, the earth elemental, you'll have brownies and gnomes and, you know, all these different beings. But the problem, like, for instance, a lot of people associate elemental spirits or elementals as the fae or as nature spirits. And John Beckett and Morgan Daimler have a really good argument as to why they are not. They are not. And, and I haven't read this argument, but I can already tell you yeah, they're not. No, they're not. And and I think even the classification, even like yeah, those lists, those you lists, find, I, I think those make me uncomfortable. Yeah, because I I think those are are potentially different. I think what people are trying to do is sort of put various spirits into list like family lists, the yeah, same way you sort yeah. of organize species right. according to a family. Right. And I like that feels like the wrong move to me. I understand mm-hmm. the urge to categorize them according to like whatever seems like their their most important elemental association, mm-hmm. but a lot of them are not related to each other at yeah. all. Yeah. And I don't I, I I don't know enough about the Fae or the Good Neighbors uh-huh. to to say why elementals are are not. <laughs> but I just know on a on a deeper level they're not. They're different. They are I would not want to insult either class of being by yeah. claiming they were the same. Exactly. Well, exactly. and I would think admittedly I don't work with either of them. Mm-hmm. So, but gut feeling is that each one of them would be different even. Like you could get from one fae to another fae or one good neighbor to another oh, yeah, good neighbor, yeah, yeah. you would get entirely different Oh, whole different interaction situations. Right, yeah. exactly. Well, so in- that being the case, how could you lump them all together? Yeah, and exactly. I think that's I think that's a problem that we see a lot in in sort of modern witchcraft especially, but also in paganism. Mm-hmm. People want to classify these things. Mm-hmm. And I get that urge, right? Like I like to have lists of things. Sure, yeah. But it's not it's sometimes it's just unproductive and sometimes it's actively rude. So what you're saying is there should be no bibliography for these elementals or or non-elementals. I think we're talking more about a glossary here, but yeah, yeah. I do feel like, like it's, it's, it feels disingenuous to me, right? To say like, well, mermaids and naiads and all these other water spirits and and Fosgrim yeah, and and all these things yep. are all Kelpies are all water water elementals. elementals. Like that just doesn't feel are correct. <laughs> Like, many, like, yeah, they have associations with with water, water. Mm -hmm. but that's not, that doesn't feel like the same thing to me. The other thing I noticed is that every single category wants to work with humans. Yes! And I was like, 
I, I doubt don't that. Think so. You will frequently find people being like, "All the elementals just want to work with humans think, for the betterment of humankind," and I'm like, "I don't think that's I, I probably call, true." I call bullshit on that. It's like it's like saying that all the good neighbors and all the fae are friendly and helpful, and it's like, have no. you met them? Yeah, you know, they can be fierce. Have you read the stories? Have you have Scribba says even humans don't want to work with humans. Melkor in the Void says those lists feel like an attempt to make things easier to consume, and they take away the nuances. Yes, I, yeah. I think so. I think that's exactly correct. And so is a naiad the same as a mermaid? The same as a kelpie? A kelpie? Yeah. The same uh, as a red no. cap? Whatever the fuck a red cap is. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to say while they're the fact maybe, that they all live in water does not make them all one class of one being. class of being yeah. yeah they just work with the same element and that's i guess where i come down to i feel like the elements have their own energy their own i don't know if you i guess you could say spirit i kind of i don't really i haven't ever really tried to work with elemental beings mm-hmm. i work with the elements talk about that for okay. a little do you bit. really work with the elements yeah that's or what do you i want to know all the elements i, I want to talk i want you to talk about what that's like for you because i really yeah. don't okay now i will say this is this is probably my own personal gnosis okay okay because this is not something that i've really read of in a researched book or, or researched or anything this is just something that comes natural to me okay when i am doing when i'm creating a circle mm-hmm. when i am doing a spell especially if it's an intensive spell, I will call in the elements to assist me with their energy. Okay. When you're doing that, what are you contacting? I feel like I'm contacting the spirit. Yeah, I guess you could say the spirit of fire or the spirit of water. The same way there's sort of a spirit of crow. Yeah. Okay. What does that feel like? What distinguishes it from working with a god or from working with one of your plants? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. It it feels, and I don't even feel like it's the actual, like, I feel like the spirit of the of fire is much bigger. Uh-huh. Than, so, so maybe it's like. So you get like an emissary of fire? An emissary of fire or, or an avatar of fire. You, I don't know. Or, or just a. A little bit. A little bit of fire comes to work with me and add their energy. So are you working with the flame on your candle or are you working with a piece of fire, a A, bigger element, a bigger element. And they may be represented in my ritual. Like, you know, I'll have a, a dish of water. I'll have a candle. I'll have incense. I'll have salt to, to represent those elements. But that's all they are doing is like holding a space for them to come in and take part of the ritual. So you don't feel any presence in those things. I do, though. That's it. But no, what I'm asking is, do you feel like the presence of the small flame? Mm-hmm. That's my question. Yes, yes, I do. There's the f- the candle with a little flame on it. Right. You're calling in uh, upon the spirit of fire. flame generally. Right. Right. Of fire, yep. Can you distinctly feel the presence of fire, the major element, and separately the presence of the small flame on your candle? Or... Is the small flame on your candle a temporary home for the large element of fire? The first one. Okay. So you can feel the presence of the small flame Mm -hmm. as like a small flame energy or spirit Mm -hmm. as distinct from the major fire element. Fire, yes. I can see that because that's how you talk about Christmas. Exactly. Right. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. I think what we're, I think this is a very similar like layering of degrees of yes. spirit. Yes. Yep. yes. Yes. Okay. That makes sense to me. Okay. Yeah. That's, that is how I work with the elements. I've never like actually attempted to work with a salamander. A salamander. <laughs> Don't call in the spirit of salamander or whatever. And that may be who I'm, salamander who, who the fire. fuck knows? That may be who I'm contracting. Right. Maybe the elemental of fire is a big a, cosmic big, salamander. Cosmic salamander. Hanging out there with Athumla the cosmic cow. Yeah. And they're just having knows. a grand old time. But for me, there, there definitely is a, a distinct spirit. You can feel that there sort of the layering yes. between the small representative yes. spirit and the bigger one. The bigger one. It. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense to me. Yep. And Jax uh, says headcanon accepted. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jax. And and I I totally that's why I'm saying it I totally believe that's UPG for me. But that totally that, I mean that does mesh with the way and and I and I've done this with more than stones. Remember I right. talked about ages and ages ago. I talked about like trying to connect to the spirit of my phone and feeling beneath that yeah. like the spirit of the electrical grid and beneath that the spirit of like plasma. And that's right. really how I work with my plants and 
with mm-hmm. the greater spirit behind that, all the way down to the Earth Mother. So do you think, all so, of that. So here's a question for you. Do you think there's a way for us as humans to interact directly with those big spirits without the intermediary smaller ones? I think so, yes. Because I feel like that experience would be a lot. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it would be, too. I, I, I that it's possible. Have I attempted it? <laughs> no. Unless no. It's, no. Unless it's what I experienced with the Earth Mother. Because I experienced the Earth as a spirit. And I, Your for experience me, that's of the Earth, Earth though, Mother. and my experience of Earth are wholly different. Yes, yes, they are. And again, we're going back into my personal mm-hmm. UG. This is my personal experience within yeah. my own practice. It, it is really interesting to me, though, that like your understanding of the, I guess, primordial element of Earth mm-hmm. and my understanding of the primordial element of Earth are so disparate. Mm-hmm. This is a conversation we had way before we started the podcast. Yes, yes, yes. Where to you, the Earth Mother, that primordial element mm-hmm. that the earth the elemental of earth yes is primarily about green and growing things mm-hmm. and to me those feel like things that are on the skin of and and the that, earth. and that's true and the the earth elemental to me feels like a much deeper heavier not even stone but just like but it dirt and, and I would say it does go it does go deeper than just surface it goes down but then and then we get into fire because you know the core of the planet the, core yeah. of the planet the molten the core. molten core <laughs> it was you know and there's the there's that fire element right hanging out with the earth element as, as uh, yeah as, the saying primordial cosmic beings just chilling and getting coffee uh-huh so I wonder if you and I are accessing different beings. Or if we're just experiencing those beings differently. I think we're just experiencing those d- beings differently. Yeah. Or connecting with different layers of that. Because I don't think any being is just one thing. No. I don't think the elemental beings of water, earth, air, fire, fire I don't think they're just one thing. I think there are levels within. Right. You know, like with fire, you've got light, you've got heat, you've got all the those, as you were saying, all those things that comprise... Yeah. Fire. Those components. It, all those components. Those, those elements. <laughs> all those elements that create the, that create uh-huh. fire. And you've got all those things, I think, are deeper layers of that elemental being. And you experience them differently. And you experience them and differently. And different people experience different layers. Yes. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I think. So, bearing all that in mind, and bearing in mind the strong correlation between like how you experience calling in the elements when you do a circle mm-hmm. and how I experience communicating with stones and then with deeper stones and then with like stone as a concept right? and plasma as a concept and so on and so forth. I would propose that there are way more than the four elementals. Oh yeah. I would like so. anytime you get like three or four layers down to one of those big spirits, mm-hmm. I think you are functionally talking to an elemental. Yeah, I would agree. I don't know that it's possible to make a definitive list of that or whether that would even be useful, but I think like you get a couple of layers down the communication ladder to one of those big spirits and whether you call them that or not, they're like the same as an elemental. Talia just said Maybe the point of elements isn't that they are distilled and form the base of everything, but they are layered and are composed of everything. Ooh. That's a really good point. And I would like to bring up that was it, it was Aristotle that came up with the idea the of aether. aether. Yeah. And when I was reading about it, it basically it was he was it was his attempt to explain the expanse, to explain yeah. Heavens to explain to, all the stuff that the existing the uni- elements did. That the yeah. yeah exactly to to explain the universe beyond what we know right. beyond in our the, the earth earth um that was what aether meant to describe and so i i think it's very i honestly i think spirit is actually kind of narrow exactly i feel like what a- and, and aether this is, why, is meant to convey and i think aether actually has a closer correspondence although not a like not a perfect one to, and i think it also correlates with what talia was saying yeah i think it has a a, a closer correspondence to void than it does to spirit Mm-hmm. Because it's describing that space. Yeah. Yeah. That absence of stuff mm-hmm. that is the heavens, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So remember I mentioned earlier that only about 15% of our universe is made up of ordinary matter and the yeah. rest of it's dark matter dark and we matter. don't know what the fuck that is. I think dark matter, aether, and the void are all kind of connected. It's time for Gwen's Garden Gems. Thank you. You're welcome. 
it's been a while since I've heard that song. Yes. Since we only do them once a month now. Talk to us about a plant. Okay. Well, the plant that I'm going to talk about actually is meadowsweet. Ooh. Yeah. That's a nice one. Smells nice. Yes, it does. Actually, that is one of the, that is one of the defining characteristics of meadowsweet. Um, it's official name is Spiria almaria. Also has a bunch of other names that are similar to meadowsweet, which include Dolph, Queen of the Meadow, Bride Wart, Lady of the Meadow, and there's more beyond that. Right. But it is a plant that is common in damp areas, in meadows, riversides, throughout the Europe, the UK. It's usually thought of as a weed. It is usually thought of as a weed, unfortunately. It actually, something that is very useful both medicinally as well as uh, magically, mm-hmm. and just because it smells nice. It does, it just smells nice. It just smells nice, and it's a, it's a very pretty plant. It's grows to about two to four feet in height. The, one of them it's, tall plants. It's one of them tall plants. It's fern-like, so it has a kind of a dark green leaf, but it has like what you would call almost an umbrella or a cluster of flowers, those small white kind of cream-colored flowers. And it's those flowers, those blossoms that are incredibly fragrant. Sweet, sweet smelling. Very fragrant. <laughs> the and the the overall herb itself is sweet. Mm-hmm. In fact, car, it used to be important to druids as they used it to make mead. Yeah, because meadwort is one of its names. Yep, Yep. meadwort is one of its names. It also was sacred to druids. It was also something that would be used because of its sweet smell, not just for making mead, but they would they would strew the flowers, the blossoms in places that were maybe not smelling so Uh nice. Yeah, but also unsanitary. So it helped bring in nicer smells to a place that was. I bet they stuffed that into so many plague masks. Oh, yes. and But it also was used for celebration, like throwing it mm-hmm. for weddings, for births, for festivals, because it's, I'm, I'm doing the, <laughs> Gwen is doing my hands. Gwen is doing like the strewing gesture, and I keep worrying she's going to smack me in the face with her <laughs> hand. <laughs> okay, so it does like to bloom between June and September. It is, you know how I usually say that the, that the plants that I talk about don't like wet feet? Uh-huh. This, this one, one likes wet feet. Yay! Yes, it likes to have it likes to grow in damp areas, in marshy, boggy kind of areas. It yes, can grow yes. along, you know, roadsides and things like that as long as there's Oh, probably a, in the drainage a, ditches. Yeah, in such. the drainage yeah. ditches and things like that. So it gets plenty of water. Bogs. Yeah, exactly. So if you did want to grow wet meadow sweet, you'd want to make sure that it had plenty of water. Because it does like it's one of those. It's one of those. It likes wet feet. Like strawberries. Mm-hmm. As far as magic is concerned, mm-hmm. um, it does align, according to Culpepper, it does align with the planet Jupiter. Yeah. Its energy is for love, drawing attraction. It is very good for bringing in calm feelings or the relief of tension or anxiety. It's gentle. They say it has a very gentle spirit, mm-hmm. and it removes barriers. And so because it's good for anxiety or release of tension, it's also very soothing. Mm-hmm. You would want to use it for any of those types of purposes. For medicinal purposes, it's honestly, it's a great diuretic. (laughs) You can also use it to assist with cold and flu symptoms, headaches, body aches, because it is one of those, not unlike willow, Mm -hmm. that they can get, that they get aspirin is derived, Ah. that salicylic acid is derived from meadowsweet as well as the willow tree. Gotcha. Also, it is good for gastrointestinal relief. You can take it as a tea or a tincture, but as with any kind of herb, make sure that you read up on the warnings. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it has contraindications. It could interact with certain medications, or if you're pregnant or nursing, you shouldn't probably take it. Generally consult with your doctor. Yeah, always consult with your doctor before you try adding an herb or right. herbal a remedy, supplement remedy supplement. Vitamins. Exactly. Anything. But it, it is a, a really beautiful herb. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it can be used for a number of things, again, med- medicinally, magically, and just because it just, smells nice. Just keep it in your house to just, make your house smell exactly. nice. Exactly. If you can get your hold of some MetaSweet, just put it in a place where you get a lot of rain. of rain or a lot of water runoff would be a good area. So that's it for Quinn's Garden Gems. Melkor in the Void just said, things I learned today, back in the day, way back in the day, when textiles were made with asbestos, they called it salamander wool because it was fire resistant. Spectacular. 
<laughs> Although, don't play with asbestos. No. No. Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely not. I, we saw a program one time that talked about the what the Victorians did with asbestos. Terrible, and, bad things. Terrible. They yeah. used it in fucking they made, everything. They made bad decisions. They, yes. they were, I mean, they were, also, bad decisions. they were also putting lead in their makeup. So. Yeah, right. They were. Yep. And they thought mercury was, like, awesome. Yeah. So yeah. You can't trust the Victorians with your Do medical advice. Do not fucking trust the Victorians. They're the ones who made, also, by the way, made the Fae, made the good neighbors into playful uh-huh. little sweet infantilized beings. Yeah. So don't Victorians trust made the Victorians. many mistakes. They made many mistakes. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Is that it? No. Um, no, because it's time for Cars Feast Table. Cars Feast Table. <laughs> oh my gosh, it will always make me laugh. <laughs> I can't help it. It's just going to make me laugh. All right, so here is your recipe for this week. I'm just going to read the recipe. <laughs> yeah. He's not going to try to preface it. He's just going to read it. I was, I was going to preface it, but I <laughs> nah, won't. Nah. All right, this is uh, called nah. Bogman's Porridge, and here's what it consists of. 10 to 15 cups of water infused with mead wort. Hey. Two cups of pearl barley. Two cups of wheat kernels that you have soaked overnight. A quarter of a cup of these things. Flax, willow herb seeds, gold of pleasure seeds, and knotweed seeds. Then also a half a teaspoon of these things. Fat hen seeds, which is a relative of quinoa. Corn spurry seeds, black bindweed seeds, violet seeds, hemp nettle seeds, which can also be poisonous, so be careful. Mustard seeds, dock seeds, green bristle grass, which is related to millet. Corn chamomile seeds, red shank seeds, greater plantain seeds, clover seeds, ryegrass seeds, Yorkshire fog seeds, buttercup seeds, ladies' mantle seeds, yarrow seeds, smooth hawksbeard seeds, and half a teaspoon of fine sand. You do not want to eat this. No. You're going to put all of this into a bowl and cook it over a fire, preferably one using heather as fuel for about an hour, adding moss water as needed until your porridge is the desired consistency, and then you're going to add salt. Yeah, this is, as Tavis would say, this is Carr's don't feast table. Yeah. (laughs) So just so you know, this was actually... And Rabbit finds the way you said uh, Yorkshire offensive. Yorkshire, not Yorkshire. Yes, I know. So anyway, uh, this actually was the last meal found in many... Bog people who are ancient Celts. Sacrificial victims to the bog. To the bog. In 1954, (laughs) there was a television show in uh, the UK called Buried Treasure, the Peat Bog Murder Mystery. And Sir Mortimer Wheeler and Dr. Glyn Daniel recreated and ate this last meal. Which was a mistake. While neither of the men really enjoyed it, Sir Mortimer did remark that with uh, portage like this, Perhaps the bog man had thrown himself in the bog to get away from his wife's cooking. <laughs> if they were, you know, being murdered, maybe this was their last meal for a reason. <laughs> Reports suggest that the dish was rather oily and had a grayish purple color with flecks of orange and black throughout. Now, That's the seeds. <laughs> the real question is, why did you want to share this today? <laughs> well, it's an ancient Celtic recipe. It's actually... It's a, it, it's a it's, recipe. This actually, is something yeah. that they people ate. ate. Yeah. And yeah. so I would Mostly not before suggest... before they were thrown into a bog. <laughs> well, at least that's what these... Because, right. <laughs> because they're so well preserved yeah, because we of the bog. Sure right, we know exactly them. what they had. Yeah. I would not suggest making this to eat. No. But it's interesting to see where we've come from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Back and in the day, we just ate seeds instead of turning them into other stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> they cooked it. They made it into a porridge. Right. No, I'm saying like instead of planting them somewhere and then having right. plants That's to true. eat, they just preferred to eat the seeds yep. straight. <laughs> so anyway, that is your car's feast table for this month. Oh, Mel Corinth Lloyd says, it sounds like a dish made from well hell. We're out of everything else. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I guess the one last thing we could talk about is, do you want to work with elemental spirits or you know, elemental yeah. beings. And I think, first of all, I would say, as someone who has not worked with these particular types right. of elemental beings. The deep I'm, spirits. The deep spirits. I'm not Which really. I think a, is what I'm just going to call them from now on. I'm not really equipped necessarily to, to answer that question mm-hmm. other than to say, do your research. Don't just make assumptions mm-hmm. based on what modern day people are thinking. What because those lists, what those lists on, are. On um, Instagram or whatever. 
And right. I would think it would be something you would really need to, just like with any kind of genus loci or uh, plant spirit or rock spirit or any spirit, you'd want to build a relationship with these beings if you're yes. going to work with them. Although I think it's probably harder to build like an ongoing relationship with one of the deep spirits because they're so big. That Yeah. So very, very big. Yeah. And Finn said, don't work with them blindly. Research, 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 yeah. and research some exactly. more. Yeah, exactly. And um, that, I think that is, that is the most important thing is anytime you're going to, to work with a being, do your research. Know who you, who it is you're reaching out to. And I'll be honest. And don't mistake them for the good, the good, people, the good neighbors. No. The good neighbor. And, and I'll be honest. All the exposure I've had to the deep spirits or the elementals or whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm has been very similar to the exposure I've had to, like, Odin, mm-hmm. which is that, like, I got his attention somehow, mm-hmm. usually by doing something else, and he looked over and acknowledged my existence. Yeah. And then I was very glad he did not want me to pay more attention to him because he's very big and strong and sometimes scary. And that was the vibe I got when I, like, Oops, that's plasma. Didn't mean to get your attention. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that and I mean, was my feeling on the subject. And, you know, I'm someone who works with elements, you know, mm-hmm. with the elements. And I have worked, I guess you could say, with a, a tiny portion of those larger spirit mm-hmm. beings. Am I working with elementals? Maybe. I'm choosing to say, yeah. I'm choosing to say that, like, those deep spirits of plasma mm-hmm. or of Igorene, the, like, all of it, or, like, stone as a yeah. concept... Or like I think, like the planet. Like I'm choosing I'm choosing to think that's about as close as I'm gonna get to understanding an elemental. Yeah, yeah. And I don't really I, I am not gonna say that I agree with the people who say all elemental beings are are helpful and want to no. work with you. Strongly I strongly disagree. I have a contentious relationship with fire. <laughs> <laughs> but I have found water and earth I'm very much in tune with. Mm-hmm. Air, I am, it's it's a little bit... It's trickier. Trickier. There's definitely an energy of working with fire with, of kind of like, all right, I'm helping you now. <laughs> but... I'm here. I'm what do you here. want? What do you I would want? say that if you want to know more about fire... Mm-hmm. I would talk to Jim Two Snakes yeah. or Sarah yeah. Odinson yeah. from around Grandfather Fire, yeah. Yeah. who actually work with fire right there in the all name. the time. Yeah. yeah. If you want to know more about that particular elemental, I would suggest talking to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I, and maybe that's part of it too. Is like it, it depends on how do you define working with elementals? Are you defining how do you define it, what an elemental and, is? Uh, how do you define what an elemental is? Are you looking at it as these different lists, and you've got mermaids in yeah. where it's just like a category, and it, it's a category of being, and you you pick whatever being right. it is you're working mm-hmm. with. Which that doesn't, I, that, that doesn't vibe with me. Uh, but if that vibes with you, I'm not going to diss that. I mean, I'm not going to say you can't. I'm just saying yeah. I don't get it. Yeah, <laughs> that isn't how it works for me. I guess, and like I said, I guess I'm sitting here as I'm talking this out, going, I guess I do work with elemental spirits, but in a in a different understanding of those. I had long talks with Sarenth and Jim mm-hmm. about fire in particular, mm-hmm. because obviously they're very well connected to it, uh-huh. and it's interesting to talk to them about the spirit of the fire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how it reacts. Like, so each year at Michigan Pagan Fest, they run the sacred fire. Yep. So it's and it lit- has had different personalities and each time. Right, <laughs> exactly. It has a different personality each year. So Caitlin Stormbreaker is also a part of that. So mm-hmm. all three of those from around Grandfather Fire do that. And so it's super interesting to, like, hear them talk about... You know, how it's different here and how it has informed them of what the festival was going to be like mm-hmm. based on how the fire was, even the first night, mm-hmm. uh, when there's very few people there. I mean, the, the first night, it's, it's really just people showing up and parking. Yep. Yeah. But the fire knows what's up. Right. But the fire and already the fire, knows what's going and on. And the fire at MPF is the spirit of that right. event. Right. Yes. Yeah, so, yep. Yeah. So, so. Do a lot of research. Do a lot of and research. And by research, we do not mean look up a list and yeah. pick something off of it and call that a day. Like, actually, and this is what I was saying in the beginning of this episode, like, don't just accept that there are four elements and you can yeah, talk exactly. to them, right? Like, examine whether those are the elements you want to be dealing with. Examine why you believe that those elements are spiritually important, right? Are they spiritually important to you? If not, what is? Mm-hmm. You know, like, actually 
find answers to those questions before you yeah. reach out and try to start a relationship with somebody. And now that we've come full circle, yeah. I think that's it for this episode of Three yeah. Pagans and a Cat. I think Time to wrap us. So if you want to know more about us, you can Google us. Yep. <laughs> I'm sure Finn is about to say. Yeah. Well, kind of said it. <laughs> and then Yes. So Google, Google us. Google. So it's the number three Pagans and a Cat. You can also go directly to our website, the number three Pagans and a Cat dot com. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find individuals of us on Instagram. I do the most stuff on Instagram. Yep. Win mm-hmm. of three pigs and a cat. Yep. Yeah. I'm on Instagram, but don't look for me to actually post a picture because I don't fucking take them. Yeah, I'm the one. Um, I'm the photo taker. In my defense, the camera on my phone is very bad. <laughs> <laughs> if we get you a better one, then then you then are maybe. Be held yeah, it still won't. No, no, no. You can also read. Um, Patheos. Patheos mm-hmm. Pagan, Three Pagans and a Cat, where I do a couple of blogs a week. Yep. You know, and uh, uh, as we were mentioning, uh, Monday through Friday right now, I'm yep. do, at 8 a.m. Eastern time, I am doing a, about a 20-minute meditation on Sundays at 2, from 2 to 4 Eastern. And those are archived, so if you can't be there at that yes. horrifying time in the morning, <laughs> you can uh, watch them archived later. That's it's true. always hard for me because I end up like having to pee like while <laughs> doing that and I can't walk down all the way through the house. The creeks. Um, yeah. So and it's been, uh, hopefully it's been meaningful to people. I've gotten some good feedback from yeah. people and some suggestions. So if you do have a suggestion, uh, reach out to me at the three pigs and a cat, uh, Facebook page or Gwen of three pigs and a cat Facebook page. Um, I also want to say that I am doing readings on my Facebook page where you can set up an appointment, yep. do intuitive readings and things like that. So Tarot. Tarot. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that's everything. That's it. That's right. the whole kit and caboodle. That's the whole kit Click and that. caboodle. Oh, you want me to turn this well, off? Let's, let's, let's off first that. say Wait. goodbye to our elemental goodbye. friends who joined us. Goodbye. Goodbye, our elemental friends who joined us. Sure, why yeah. not? Because the elements are everywhere, right? Air, earth, fire. Well, we didn't fire. invite them in, so I don't think uh, we have to say dismiss goodbye to them. them or yeah. Oh, yeah. fine. Finn's telling me I have to hit the stop button. Hit so the stop. Hit the stop button. Obey Finn. Do it. I don't know. God, I would have. I was gonna press it, and then you said obey Finn. And my inclination was instantly, fuck that! I'm not well, a you stopped, it, you stopped to press the button. So. No, well, okay. I ha't done it yet. Me. You can do no, it. No, now I get Finn yelling, hit the stop button. button. Damn it. <laughs> Go ahead, you do it. You've been listening to Three Pagans and a Cat. Find out more information at www.threepagansandacat.com.